Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Yes, some mail! What the rock is cooking! Good evening, folks. It is the Rocky Boyman Show 700 WLW. It's a pleasure to be with you tonight. As always, it is Rock and Roll Friday. We've got a bunch of great guests coming up on the show. Mo Egger's going to join us at 10 o'clock, Paul Daner Jr. Uh, later on. But I want to start off the show with a, uh, a special guest. And there's a couple of topics floating around uh, this week, as we do on Fridays. We like to kind of rediscuss the, the news and the events of, of the week. And a couple of those things, uh, the topics we've discussed this week are heroin, We've discussed uh, the Democrat hypocrisy with Jeff Sessions. We've, ta- we've discussed the, uh, the liberal left's hatred of the military. Uh, we've discussed um, the streetcar. So those are the topics that are on the table, and we're going to talk about those with our next guest, and it's the one and only Willie Cunningham. Willie, how are you? Rocky, how are you? I'm doing good. Now, Willie, last time I had you on the show, you talked about walking arm-in-arm with Jesus Christ himself, riding the streetcar, around the three-and-a-half-mile track, and you had seen the promised land. You had crossed the Rubicon, and you had joined the the, the, the pro-streetcar folks. You had finally seen the light. So with that in mind, we see this week about yet another uh, black eye with the streetcar track problems. The streetcar is going to have to close because of cement issues, this and that. Ridership issues are down. So the question to you, Willie, is... Are you still walking arm in arm with Jesus Christ aboard the streetcar? Go. I would like to revise and extend my remarks. <laughs> I sound like you politicians, don't I? But That's right. What happened with me and Lori Cleanliven is that I went there, I got into the womb, I got into the middle of the streetcar, and the door shut behind me. And there was some special gas released of <laughs> such right. a character yes. that I lost my mind. And it's taken me a few weeks to recover from that horrible incident, but I can now see the light. I see the promised land. And now I understand that what I went through there was some out-of-body experience that will not be repeated. It it, it wasn't you. And, Willie, I remember telling you at the time you were completely set up. Lori Quinlivan had called ahead. She called ahead to all the business owners along the track. She had made sure the news was down there. She had probably even put, like, like called actual people to ride the streetcar in hopes of putting the best image, the best face upon the Cincinnati streetcar and and that's why look it happens to all of us Willie I think we well, we've all been duped and and well, I, I I I hate to say it but I think it happened to you in that instance <laughs> many years ago and you were too young to remember such things there was a man named uh, Lonigan who suffered a sting at the hands of Robert Redford and Paul Newman and I feel as if a sting took place and that I was the mark I came in and deposited my judgment to the tune of 2.4 million dollars that was all set up and suddenly I lost my good judgment. But now I've returned you with returned. a different attitude. I'm He's back. back. He's I'm back. back. I'm back. Because I saw the numbers. <laughs> the first month in September had 135,000 riders in September with all the public publicity, all the support behind it. In the month of January, 
there were 35,000. So they lost 100,000 riders yes. in one month uh, between uh, September and January, 100,000 down. Now the concrete is crumbling, and I'm told by my sources in City Hall, it is not just one location or two locations. It may be seven or eight locations up and down the, the, uh, the rail that the concrete bed underneath is crumbling. You have one of the five streetcars, which is in total rehab, much like an ACL, got an ACL, <laughs> and you got right elbow surgery being done on the one streetcar that costs $4 million. Yes. So now we're down to four streetcars. Of course, nobody cares, according to Amy Murray, because there's not enough riders anyway no. to justify. Uh, I mean, Willie, if, if the streetcar closes and redo this concrete and whatever that's happening with it, literally dozens of people will be affected. Dozens of people will be affected by this. You saw the numbers, the progression, uh, projections for the month of January were around 3,200. So now hovering around 1,000. I even question that, Mark. So, Willie, at what point – let me ask you this. At what point do you think the voters will hold city council members responsible ever, or are they still going to just keep voting for the same people and getting the same results? Hamilton County voted in the last election plus 42,000 for Barack – for Hillary Clinton, before that, 28 and 32,000 for Barack Hussein Obama. The city of Cincinnati itself voted 70% for Obama – 71% 71% for Obama, and then 73% for Hillary Clinton. So you're talking about a population of people who live in the city who thought Obama and then Hillary would, were and would be great presidents. So we're not dealing with normal people. No, we're not dealing not with Rock Rivers from Green Township, Westchester, Independence. We're dealing with a group of individuals in the city which 70% or more are progressive left-wing radical extremists like Chris Seelbach, and you'll never convince them in the city it was a bad idea to spend 150 million after debt service 280 million dollars more than a quarter of a billion dollars a quarter of a billion dollars for a couple of streetcars with no riders on them so the answer is no so so but well, Willie, what do you think is the end result of all this the other thing thrown in the mix here is obviously city council declared cincinnati a sanctuary city <laughs> which you and i both know the trumpster is not going to look too kindly upon that no. he's, he's either going to withhold no. federal funds or more likely he's going to take our application for the brent spencer ridge which was by my sources told me it was right near the top, one or two. And he's going to take that application, and he's going to stick it at the bottom of the pile. So we have that. We have the Sanctuary City fallout. We have the Brent Spence Bridge not being paid for. We have potentially other members of the community turned off by the fact that Cincinnati is now a sanctuary city. We have a streetcar that no one rides. So what is the end result? What is the end result of all this spending and of all the same politicians involved in this situation if the Democrats keep making the same decisions, what's the end game, Willie? The end result's going to be this. According to my wife, the people's judge, to whom I've now spent 48 years in marital bliss, tells me that she and I are moving to the city of Cincinnati. What? Willie, what have we just talked about for the last 10 minutes? What? According to the people's judge, (laughs) in the next year or two, we will locate ourselves in a high-rise in the city of Cincinnati, so she can attend St. X Church, go to Schmail Park, walk to Lytle Park, go to the big public library, and walk up to Mount Adams. According to the people's judge, me, the voice of the common man. <laughs>
the uncommon voice of the common man, the well, conscience that I will be residing in Willie, that house. Did, Willie, have you been gassed again? Did Lori Quinlevin sneak some of that same gas into your home right now, the same gas that tricked you, that duped you upon the streetcar about a month ago? Has the same thing happened? What are you telling me? What are you telling the American people right now about moving to downtown Cincinnati? Well, it isn't me. My wife says I've picked the last two or three houses that we've owned, our place in Naples, Florida, and she has the next one, which I agreed to. A deal's a deal. And I told her after we got our place in Naples at Jack Nicholas Signature Golf Course, and by the way, last weekend I won the Bears Paul Club Championship. You nice. can see even a picture on my blog. But nonetheless, I said, dear, I will agree to move downtown, but I will not sell our house. Because if neither one of us likes it, we're going back to Kenwood where we belong. Right now, I'm in the 43. I got Kenwood Country Club. I got Kenwood Town Center. I got Cooper's Hawk. I got the Death Star. I got people who look and think <laughs> and act like me. I'm around the greatest Americans I know. So if I'm going to locate in downtown Cincinnati and ride the streetcars shouting, Wee! as I turn corners and I walk the city streets where women are killed, trying to put money in the meters. If I'm going to walk the city streets of Cincinnati, I want to have a safety valve that I can come back home. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll come back home myself, but I'm not going to sell my home in Kenwood until I determine that I want to live downtown. But I promised her, and you're married. Marriage is an agreement. Yes, Marriage yes. is a contract. Marriage is conciliation. Marriage is reconciliation. Marriage is compromise. And I told her two or three times that you get to pick the next place thinking I'd be living somewhere in the barrio of Indian Hill. But she tells me, because she loves downtown, she's been down there 25 years as a judge, that she wants to live downtown. And I said, honey, I promised you that. I will keep my word as a husband. Well, there you go. You, you, I'm moving downtown, Rock. You, your word is your sacred bound. I, I, I can't believe it. I, I won't believe it. Until I see it, but all I'm saying, Willie, is yes, you got to keep that house you own now as a fallback plan just in case things don't work out. You got to give it a little bit of time. Willie. I want to have you and your wife on a balcony overlooking the oh, Ohio River. God. I want you two down there just reveling in the Friday night fireworks, on, on the, uh, also on the western and southern fireworks. I wanted you to walk with me to Schmale Park. I want you to talk with me up and down Sycamore to go to St. X Church, and you love X. You went to you went to you went to St. X, and they got St. X Church where everything started. Penny tells me that Bill Cunningham will live in downtown Cincinnati. Well, I won't believe it until I see it, but but keep us posted on that. Ne- next topic, Willie, is uh, is let's call it the witch hunt for uh, for uh, Jeff Sessions, right under the Trump administration. Trump comes out on Tuesday and gives. The speech of all speeches, bats a thousand, hit it absolutely out of the park. And as we both know, the, the whole game was in play even before that. They knew that Trump was probably going to go up there and do a great job. So the apparatus was, uh, apparatuses were all already in place to the next day. Boom. Here comes the, the questions about Jeff Sessions. Willie, we've seen this many times before. The New York Times, the Washington Post, they come out with an article that seems to be the, the most Hellfire storm controversy we've ever seen, right? And then all the anti-Trumpers, they jump on board. All the Democrats jump on board. And then all the former Clinton people jump on board and make this something into a totally humongous situation. Even when there's no evidence, even when there's no evidence, they continue to make 
ridiculous claims like uh, Ms. Uh, McCaskill, the Democrat from Missouri, who tweeted out that she's been on the Armed Services Committee for 10 years, had never met with a Russian ambassador. About three seconds later, someone tweets out a picture of her meeting with the Russian ambassador. <laughs> yeah, no one cares about that. Chuck Schumer d- condemns Donald Trump and Jeff Sessions for meeting with the ambassador. Three seconds later, they tweet out a picture of Chuck Schumer eating a hot dog with Vladimir Putin. So what, what's the end game here, Willie? I mean, we continue to see the same game plan over and over and over is is or who's who's going to win this battle is it going to be trump or is it going to be the media and the democrats rasmussen has a tracking poll out today that has djt at 54 percent also the washington times reported on their online version at 5 p.m tonight that the september meeting between jeff sessions and vasily oranoff who's the uh, russian Russian ambassador. ambassador that guy was set up by the Obama administration. The Obama administration, at the request of the Russian ambassador, wanted to meet with three or four members of the Armed Services Committee. And so the Obama administration recommended that Jeff Sessions meet, and he said, okay. And this was such a secret meeting, he had three of his staffers with him, two of whom were retired military full-bird colonels who were in the meeting also. And this was set up by the Obama administration. The Russian ambassador has been to the Obama White House at least 52 times, according to White House law himself. Mm -hmm. He also has met, he says, with at least 60 sitting U.S. senators by this point. So what is wrong with meeting with the Russian ambassador, the Chinese ambassador, the Iranian ambassador, the Argentine? Meet with them, all those guys. That's what Sessions is supposed to do. Now, his answer was inartful. To, uh, to Franken, but it wasn't a lie. It wasn't a misrepresentation. He was answering the question about CNN. So they take a, they, you give them an inch and they take a mile. The big problem is this, Rocky Boyman. There's 3,500 political appointees of Barack Hussein Obama serving in the Trump administration because the Senate's approved 17 out of 3,500. They, they are committed to blowing up the Trump administration at every turn. This is not about Sessions. It's about stopping the Trump agenda yes, of tax period. reform, yeah. of southern border issues, of Obamacare. It's got nothing to do with Jeff Sessions. Uh, we've already gone through all the stuff with Kelly and Conway and Puzner, who was the Secretary of Labor. Every few days they pick somebody else out in order to make delegitimate the presidency of Trump. The bureaucracy, the shadow government in Washington, does not want the Trumpster to implement his agenda that we voted for. And so this is all a subterfuge, which I think at the end, the American people will win. But it's going to be a fight. It's going we to be are a fight the union. every they day. They are the Confederates. We are the Union soldiers. They are the Confederates. The Democratic Party is the Confederates. It's the party of slavery and Jim Crow laws. They are the party that tried to obstruct the 1964 Civil Rights Act. We represent the Union. We're the blue, and they're the gray, and we got to fight them. Got to keep fighting. Willie, last question before I let you go, and this is off the beaten path, but the theme of tonight's show, Willie, is defining moments in your life. That proverbial point, Willie, when you came to the fork in the road and you could have chose left or you could have chose right. It was a defining moment in your life and you chose a certain way and it either worked out well for you and your career and your life or your marriage or maybe it didn't so. So I ask you, Willie, share with the American people a defining moment in your life. December 24th slash December 25th, 1967. My mother, I was living in 8479 Wicklow Avenue in Deer Park. My mom said, Billy, you're going to midnight mass. 
And I said, Mama, I'm not going to midnight mass. I'll go sometime tomorrow. She said, Billy, you're going to midnight mass with me. And I said, okay, Mom. So I go to midnight mass at St. Savior Church, December 25th slash 25th, 1967. As I'm going to communion, I round a corner, and I see standing to my right a blonde-headed woman that I remembered from the eighth grade at St. Savior Grade School. I'd lost track of her for four years. Her name was Penny Asbrock. I go home. I vaguely remember I had the old white pages of the phone book. Get them out. I vaguely remember her living on York Avenue in Deer Park. I looked it up, and the name was in the book, Richard W. Asbrock, 8301 York Avenue. It was 1.35 a.m. Christmas morning. I think to myself, do I risk calling her at home at 1.35 a.m. in the morning? I said, yes, I will. (laughs) I called her at 1.35 a.m. after midnight mass. Her father immediately picks up the phone and says, who is this? I said, sir, this is Bill Cunningham. Why are you calling my daughter so late? I said, sir, I just saw her at midnight mass. I want to take her on a date. He said, just like that, really? And he said, you you were at mass? I said, yeah. And I heard him say, Penny, it's Bill Cunningham. (laughs) She walks up to the phone. I take her out later that night. We go to the Royal Billiard Parlor in Oakley. I had a bunch of quarters. I kept putting quarters in to the the billiard table because she wore a low-cut, tan, brown sweater. And every time she bent over and hit a combo, I thought (laughs) all I saw were the girls. It was a promised land, yes. The, The girls were out. In fact, we played so much pool, we get to White Castle and Reading, and I have literally not a nickel left. I didn't know that. I thought I had $2 in my back pocket, but I'd spent it on the pool table. We order. The bill's like $1.80, and I have no money. She reaches in her purse and pulls out $2 her mother gave her to pay for White Castles. The rest is history. The rest so is history. When I turned the corner at midnight mass and saw that blonde standing there, that's the moment that defined who I became as a man. And, and now all these years later, because of that decision, Willie, you're going to be moving downtown to a condo in downtown Cincinnati. My wife tells me <laughs> I'm moving on the streetcar line. Willie, that was a fantastic story. Love hearing that about the people's judge. I want to thank you so much for coming on the Rocky Boyman Show tonight. Thank you so much. And God bless America. God bless America. <laughs> all right. The one and only Willie Cunningham. We will take a break, come back with more 700 WLW. 926 here on the big one, 700 WLW. It is Rock and Roll Friday. And what better way to kick off the show than, in my opinion, one of the original songs about teenage anger. Go ahead and jack it up a little bit. This is good stuff. 1970. You know what time it is. Alice Cooper. The original. Go ahead and kick that. Kick it up a little bit. Again, released in 1970, Cooper was 23 years old when he recorded this song. Interesting side note, him and his band wrote this song while living in Cincinnati. about that? Another interesting fact, I remember hearing a, 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 uh, one of these you know, biography things on it, and Alice Cooper talked about when they recorded this song, it was on like a really like old kind of eight-track player, and it was such a bad recording when they gave it to the producer the producers thought the song was i'm edgy i'm edgy instead of i'm 18 well the rest is history the producer regardless of what they thought the lyrics were thought they had the sound they had the the look they had the whole deal and the rest is history alice cooper a great one i remember when i turned 18 years old driving down coleraine avenue 
pulled into a CD star and bought Alice Cooper Greatest Hits, threw the CD in my car, and played I'm 18 as loud as those speakers would go. If I, I would be willing to bet there are 100 people or more, or more right now listening to this program that has similar experience listening to this song on absolute full blast at the age of 18. That's as good as it gets. All right, so we're going to take a break. When we come back, as I told Willie, the theme of tonight's show is defining moments in your life. Things that, you know, when you look back upon them, really change the course, change the trajectory of your life. Decisions you made, what went into those decisions. We'll take your calls on it, as always, at 513-749-7000, pound 718 and T, 1-800-BIG-1-IO, of course. I uh, share uh, one of the many defining moments in my life. Stay right here. 700 WLW. Welcome back to the show. It's 934 here on the big one. 700 WLW. The Rocky Boyman Show. It's Rock and Roll Friday. All the videos for the songs you hear tonight are on my blog. 700WLW.com. Search word Rocky Boyman. I have some good ones picked out tonight. A little bit of old school rock. A little bit of psychedelic stuff. Of course, some blues wouldn't be the show without the blues. How about a little Jefferson Airplane? Take it away, Gracie Slick. One pill makes you larger and one pill the song is, of course, off the 1967 album Surrealistic Pillow. And it's based off the Lewis Carroll book, Alice in Wonderland. And Gracie Slick, the lead singer of Jefferson Airplane, was known to do what a lot of people in those days did and take a lot of drugs, a lot of LSD, a lot of acid. And when she was... On an acid trip, she was thinking about the lyrics of this song and thought they made a lot of drug references, which they do. You know, uh, one pill makes you big, one pill makes you small, and chasing the rabbit and the Mad Hatter and all this stuff. But anyway, fantastic, fantastic song. White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. So, um, again, the theme of the show tonight I wanted to discuss, as I like to do on Fridays, kind of do something different, something outside the box um, last week we did uh, Spontaneous Moments in Life, which is fantastic. Such great callers, such great stories people gave. Um, so I'm hoping to get in something similar tonight. But again, I think all of us have had that moment in our life, right? Maybe even a couple moments in our life where the rubber meets the road, right? you got a defining moment where there's a certain decision you have to make, and it's even at the time, if you don't know it's big, or maybe you even do at the time, that, man, this is... Which way am I going to go? And, and upon the weight of that decision is literally what direction the rest of your life, the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, even more, is going to take. And it's a big-time decision. And, you know, you, 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 at some point you weigh the options and, and you got to go with it. I would say of, of the few I have in my life, and I'll share a, a few tonight, but the single biggest one I had, the single biggest defining moment in my career came, I would say it was in my four, uh, heading into my fourth year, in the NFL, so I played my first four years with the Tennessee Titans. Okay, I had a you know really nice career. It, you know, won AFC Defensive Player of the Week. We'd been on you know two teams that went to the playoffs, went to the AFC Championship game my rookie year. Not nice career, man. Nice career for my first four years. Um, things were great, and um, I wound up being a free agent exactly this time. You know, say what uh, twelve something years ago, a okay, free agency. So I go into free agency, and um, you know I want to, of course, do what every player does, which is go find another team where I can, you know, help you know progress my career and you know good you know money. That that's always obviously an option, uh, of course. 
So why don't I sign on with the Dallas Cowboys? Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It was one of those decisions where it, for a, for a big time decision in your life, it felt very rushed. I know, I'll never forget that. I remember thinking, you know, I remember my agent calling me once because uh, I had met with the Bengals for, uh, actually, I met with them, and then I was my agent called and said uh, the Dallas Cowboys want to meet you, and they have a real needed outside linebacker. Da 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 da. Um, I think it'd be a good fit. Um, you're going to fly out uh, tomorrow, or whatever. Okay, cool. Let's go see what they have to say. Well, he calls me back like a couple hours later and said, "Hey, look, they want to do a deal right now because you know they they want to get things going. They want to get you signed up." And, and 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 I think we got to do something right now, and it's a three-year deal. Here are the implications. I remember thinking, like, wait, wait, whoa, whoa. Like, I mean, can I go, like, meet with a coach first? Can I can I go see a facility? Can I, you know, talk about what sort of defensive scheme they're on? No, man, we we got to do this now because if not, then the deal is going to be pulled. And this and that. So I was like, okay, fine, yeah, let's do it. It was a, I mean, financially it was great. It was America's team. It was a three-year deal. I'm like, okay, I, you know, I'm. Feel a little uneasy about this, but ultimately you're you're excited. And I'll never forget, got on the plane the next day, flew down to Dallas and and you know, signed there. And the second I got off that plane, I, I I didn't something wasn't right. Something just wasn't right. I didn't you know, apprehensive and this and that. But something just wasn't just just wasn't quite right with the situation. But look, you know, you sign the deal and you're gonna go on and you know, throughout the course of the off season and, and this and that. So I wound up, you know, going through the off season program and met some great people, great coaches. You know, Bill Parcells was the head coach and, um, uh, you know, and, and, and this and that. So I uh, wound up buying a house in Coppell, Texas, which is, you know, right next to um, the, the, uh, the training facility there uh, in, in, in Dallas. And Mike Zimmer was a defensive coordinator. And anyway, so. Got a house, went through camp, and, and it gives one of those things. And it turned out my, my assumptions were correct, and that was that things weren't exactly right. It was a poor fit for me defensively. I was a three, I was a four-three outside linebacker. I was used to playing off the ball in a four-three scheme. Dallas was a thirty-four scheme where they wanted me to play a, a stand-up linebacker on the ball, and they play like an old-school like two-gap technique where they wanted their outside linebackers big, right? The other thing I remember is when my, before I signed, my agent said, yeah, you know, I'm like, okay, well, what are the linebackers I got? What's my competition? He goes, well, they got this guy named Greg Ellis. And I'm like, of, of course. You know, he's like one of the top ten sack people of, of all time in the NFL. Um, he's on one. And they, and they got this other guy. He just signed last year as a rookie. Um, don't know a ton about him, but his name's DeMarcus Ware. Uh, other than that, I don't know. Of course, DeMarcus Ware, he's going to go into the Hall of Fame here in probably next five, ten years. So you get the picture. This was the situation. This is what I walked into. Anyway, I go through camp, knew it wasn't the right scheme. No, it wasn't for me. It was a, situ- a, a certain scheme that was not conducive to me. I go into training camp, and in training camp, I wound up, you know, during a drill, I blocked a punt and wound up basically breaking my thumb off my hand. I had to get surgery and pins put in and all this. I mixed, mixed a, missed a week and a half of training camp. And 
and that was it for me. Basically, that was it. That was kind of that point of camp where you really had to show your stuff. And long story short, I got released, right? And the defining moment for me was sitting, and I went in, they called me about, it was the last, you know, the last day, like, you know, it was like a, a Saturday, I think, right? It was a Saturday, right? The, the team, the final roster is made on that Monday. So this is the final cuts, right? And I kind of knew the handwriting on the wall. I, I mean, I had a, certainly had a big intuition that that was going to go down. Well, I get called, you know, 536 in the morning, come on over, blah, blah, you're getting released, okay? So whenever I got all my crap, came back home. And the final moment for me was I was sitting out on my deck. I had a deck of this house all the way down in Coppell, Texas. I remember sitting there being like, man, I don't know if I want to do this anymore. I, I, you know, I, this has been a hellacious year. This has been awful. I got a, you know, a hand with a bunch of pins in it. I, I, I don't, I, my confidence was is the lowest it's ever been in my entire career. And I remember th- sitting there thinking to myself, like, you know, if I walk away right now, I got four years in the league. I got you know a decent you know, amount of money for a young kid. It's a success story. Four years in the league is a, is a total success story. What's the big deal? Maybe it's time to look for another avenue in my life. Maybe it's time to look to something else. And and that's really where I was. And I'll never forget what I did was in that moment of just total dejection and thinking, okay, maybe it's time to to uh, you know call it up here. Called my folks, called my family, and said, look, this is, you know, I, I don't know about this. And I'll never forget talking to my dad, talking to my mom, even talking to my little sister. And, and they were so confident in the in saying, you're not done, man. You're not done. It wasn't like, you know, like pressuring me to play. It was just their message was, you're not done playing. You, you don't want this. This is, the, this is not you talking right now. There's more in you. You've worked so hard to get to this point. You, you, if you look, if you quit now you'll you'll look back on this and regret it the rest of your life and i went from like the lowest of low to getting just a little bit more positive vibes right sitting on that on that back deck by this pool i have never forget i'm sitting there in my head right now talking to my parents on a, on a phone so hang up the phone got a little more okay well well i don't know well we'll see what happens here hour or two later get a call Tennessee Titans, Rock, we'd love to have you back. Love to have you back here. You know what this and that. Okay, cool. Go back to Tennessee. Go back where things make sense. Sounds good. Second call I got was from a guy by the name of Nick Saban, who was then the head coach of the Miami Dolphins. And blah, 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 blah. You know, hey, we think you could fit into our scheme. We want to have you, this and that, this and that. All right. Play for Nick Saban, the Dolphins, Miami. That sounds pretty good. You know, okay. And the third phone call I got was from a guy by the name of Tony Dungy. It was, of course, the head coach of the Indianapolis Colts. Rocks, shame what happened to you, but you know you've played in our division here for four years. We know you very well. You th- we think you fit in the scheme, and um, love to have you. And I remember hung up the phone, and I'm thinking to myself, man, here's a chance to, you know, to to go closer to home. Indianapolis is you know an hour and a half from home, so at least I'm closer to home. And they got a damn good team, man. The year before, they'd got what one step away from the championship game. And um, I got this quarterback named Peyton Manning. He's pretty good. Maybe we've got a chance to, to to do something here. So long story short, called coach back, called my agent back, this and that. I'm going to play for the Indianapolis Colts. And the rest, of course, is history. Wound up having four more great years, the four best years of my career, won a Super Bowl, um, the, the whole deal. So I think back on that moment, the defining moment of what, what would happen? What would happen if I just said, nah, this is it. I'm done. 
And it wouldn't have been, it would have been, still been a success story, but I would have missed out on it. My God, are you kidding me? Uh, an opportunity to be on a team that wins a Super Bowl, an opportunity to, to grow my career, an opportunity to, to play four more years in this wonderful, wonderful thing they invented called the NFL. And it was a defining moment in my life. I'll, I'll never forget, I'll never sit, for, forget sitting on that back deck in a, at a home in Coppell, Texas, wondering what the hell is going on here, and maybe this is it. And a couple phone calls, a couple prayers, uh, changed everything for me. What's your story? That's mine. 513-749-7000, pound 700 AT&T, 1-800-THE-BIG-ONE. If you have any thoughts, any stories about defining moments in your life. Let's do this. Let's take a break, and we'll come back with some more. We'll come back with some calls and come back with some more news of the day. Stay here. 700 WLW. Oh, yeah. 949 here in the big one. 700 WLW, the Rocky Borman Show. It is Rock and Roll Friday. I don't know what came to me, but I, I had to play this song. The Rolling Stones, Tumbling Dice. 1972 album, Exile on Main Street. Now, again, the song is called Tumbling Dice, but originally Mick Jagger titled the song Good Time Woman. It had some different lyrics, had a little bit different, you know, guitar riffs and things like that. They wound up changing it. And their song was recorded at a place where they recorded a few songs. It was called uh, Villa Nakate, I believe. It was a studio in, like, a house in France that Keith Richards owned funny side story he owned this or he rented this house in france because he didn't want to pay the taxes in britain nevertheless great song and mick jagger actually plays guitar on the song which he normally didn't do much but anyway turn that up let's just kick a little bit All right, the uh, the phone lines here, as always, are 513-749-7000, pound 700 AT&T, 1-800, the big one. Uh, coming up here at 10 o'clock, uh, Mo Egger's going to join us. We're going to talk a little bit about the uh, topic I touched on last night, which was Adam Jones. And, you know, look, I, I was, you know, part of my my rant last night on Jones and what do you care if he remains a Bengal and you just care if he wins. It was, part of it was, was sarcasm. Part of it was just, you know, kind of making a point. that I, I think, you know, a lot of times we – you know, we ask so much, we put so much stock in some of these players, but really, is it the, is it just the uniform? Is it the players? Um, and, I, and again, I, I guess part of it, too, is me on the inside, having been there, knows that a lot of these guys are, are, are nothing to look up to. Are there some to look up to? Absolutely. A lot of great, great people in the NFL, but there's a lot of guys that, that aren't so good, and there certainly should be. I don't mean to pull a Charles Barkley here with, you know, I am not a role model and your parent, but look, your parents and other people in the community and loved ones, those should be the role models and not so much uh, the players. Um, also coming up here at 11 o'clock, uh, Paul Danner Jr. from the Enquirer is going to join me. He is at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis, which is, is always interesting. I remember this, you know, the NFL Combine. I was there in 2002. Was that, uh, what, 15 years ago? God, that's a Incredibly long. Um, I I always love the people make a big deal about the the weird and odd questions that teams ask people. You know, they ask. Uh, I remember one they've always talked about is a, a team will. That's a big part of the combine, right? Is they bring you in. They and it's the interviews. People think it's all about the forty yard dash and the vertical jump. When really that's kind of the the lowest of importance. More so, the biggest thing is the 
you know, the, the medical checks that they give. Every team has their doctors there. I mean, you get poked and prodded. And- Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Twisted and, and, and turned around. They go through every little thing. If you had a, a sprained ankle, uh, you, you know, your middle, your eighth grade year, they know about it and they want to know, and they're going to ask you about it. And it's, it's pretty remarkable. But outside of that, it's also, it's the interviews with the teams. They bring you in and, you know, they, they want to get a feel for you. And people always lose their mind when these teams ask you crazy questions. One of them, remember talking about last year was, if you were an animal, describe yourself. Now, you know, on, on the surface, I, I think uh, the average person goes, that's completely ridiculous. What, what is a big time NFL multi-billion dollar organization, multi-billion dollar league, why are they asking a stupid question like that? And maybe the, the, that particular question is stupid or, you know, do, you know, other ones I saw were, you know, are, do you feel entitled? Um, what is your, your goals moving forward? If you could pick a superpower, what would it be? You know, when did you lose your virginity? I mean, these are the questions I ask. But what they want to hear, the reason for all these odd questions, they want to see you think on your feet. The NFL does not want robots. Okay, they don't want people that are going to say, okay, here's my job, here's where I drop, here's where my pass route is, and I do just that. You can't have robots in the NFL. You want people that can adjust. You want people to survey the situation and, just like that, can, can change on a dime, can adapt to the situation, and can, can think on their feet. So that's all they're asking. They, they want to ask that question. They don't want you to go, uh, um, uh, duh, I, I, you know, I don't know. I never thought about it. I don't know. No, they want you to go. Oh, animal man! I, I, I would say a lion. You know, a lion's the king of the jungle, and da 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 da. And I, I see myself as someone who's, you know, a leader. And this, that's what they want you to do. They want you to go off with a, you know, take that odd question and spin it into something that can really get to the bottom of the, the psychology of you and what makes you tick, and what kind of person are you going to be? And again, can you think on the fly? I mean, a football game, it, things happen. Rarely do they happen the way you think or happen the way you plan it out. Oftentimes, it's completely different, and you got to be able to adapt, and you better damn do it quickly. So that's the reason for a lot of these questions. And the interviews are so, so important. I mean, anybody knows. You talk, you know, seeing somebody on film is one thing, but talking to them, looking into their eyes, you know, looking at their face and watching them, the you know, the nonverbal communication they give, that stuff is gold. That's what the NFL Combine is all about. It's not, you know, the 40-yard dash and all, okay, it's important. That's what maybe people talk about. But it is by far the lowest on the rung of what the NFL Combine is all about. It's 9.55 here on the big one. We are going to take a break. We'll have the top of the hour news. And then when we come back, the one and only Mo Egger of ESPN 1530 and of 700WLW, Mo Egger, is going to join us right here. Stick around. It's Rock and Roll Friday, 700 WLW. The Rocky Boyman Show rolls on here on 700 WLW. It is Rock and Roll Friday. And if there's a guy I know that loves rock and roll more than this guy, I don't know who it is. Joining us right now is the one and only Mo Egger. Mo, how are you, buddy? 
Rocky, I'm great. How are you? Doing very good. So I want to first discuss something I brought up on the air last night, and frankly, I got I got a lot of flack over it. But but I want your your opinion on it. And my and maybe this was out of frustration. Maybe it was just a little bit of you know out of um, you know just some you know some sarcasm. But I was talking about the topic of of Adam Jones, and you know when Adam Jones had his run with the law in January, oh we got to fire him. He's got this. And he's cussing at a police officer. And, and again, maybe just out of frustration, I, I, I thought I started thinking to myself, what the hell do people care? The, the, the average fan, I think, likes to cheer for the Bengals from 1 to 4.30 p.m. on a Sunday. They want their hometown team to win. So what if Adam Jones cusses out a cop? So, I mean, it's not something you like, not something you know morally I would want my kids to do or I would follow. And I also pointed out the fact that the players in that locker room largely don't give a damn what a player does off the field. As long as they're available on the field and ready to roll and can help them win, so be it the rest. I would just love your thoughts on why should we care if Adam Jones gets in some small amount of trouble here and there? Because it compromises his availability. I don't know if Adam Jones, if the Bengals keep Adam Jones, do you know that he's going to be on the field in week one? Can you count on him? Like, that's, that's what I want. If, if, if I ran the team, heck, as, as a fan of the team, man, at the very least, I'd like to be able to count on you to be available. And I think mm-hmm. that's the biggest issue with Adam Jones right now is because of his track record, because of a repeated pattern of behavior. Like, if, let's just look at it from, from where the Bengals are right now, okay? So they have Drake Kirkpatrick, who might walk. They have Adam Jones, who's 34 years old and not coming off a great season. Yes. And then they have a bunch of young guys. If you let Drake Kirkpatrick, who's not a star, but I feel like he's going to be on the field in week one, if you let him walk and keep Adam Jones, and then Roger Goodell decides Adam Jones can't play the first four games, which Roger Goodell is so random that you don't know, mm-hmm. or he ends up getting uh, charged significantly with a felony and, and ends up having to serve time, whatever it is, I like people that I can count on. And so for me, I can't count on Adam Jones. There is a football end to this, and, and you know that. He is 34 years old. This is not a 25-year-old guy. Mm-hmm. This is a guy who has, is coming off the season where he wasn't as good as he was two years ago. He's nearing the end of his career. And so, but you're right. Look, to, to go on and 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 on about why we don't like the guy and why the Bengals should get rid of him, it's easy to do in March. In September, if he's playing for the Bengals and he grabs a big pick late in the game <laughs> and exactly. into the victory, everybody who's come down on him and criticized him, including myself, is going to cheer. But yes. they're not cheering the guy. They're cheering the act. Right. At the end of the day, all we care is, does our team win? And as much as we love to say that we want guys who represent the city, we want good character guys, Look, I, 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 was, I was a fan of those UC basketball teams when they weren't graduating players, according to the national stats. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and when guys were running afoul of, of school rules and sometimes the law, nobody cared. And then right. a couple of years later when they were rebuilding the program and guys were staying you know, out of trouble and they were graduating, nobody cared because they weren't winning games. All we care about as fans is do they win. Right, and, and that was kind of my main point. And again, all, all, of, all of my point I was making circulates around the fact that he will be available, right? Roger Goodell, okay, maybe suspend him, you know, four games, maybe no games. I don't know. I, I guess I, I guess what it was, Mo, is, is I got so sick of hearing, 
year after year of the Bengal fans saying, oh, I'm done with this team. If they don't fire Marvin Lewis, I'm done. I'm not buying season tickets. If they don't, you know, fire Vontez Burfick and get rid of these thugs on this team, I'm never coming back. And, but they always do, Mo. They always come back. They always go to the games. They always cheer for the Bengals, which is fantastic. I, I guess I was just so tired of hearing the, oh, if they don't, Adam Jones is such a bad person, they got to let him go and the locker room's going to be divided. No, he's not. No, it's not. And no, you're not going to stay home. You're going to continue to come to Bengals fans because you're, you're, you're a fan. You're a fan. You're going to continue to come to the games. Ultimately, all we care about is the laundry. We want the laundry. Jerry Seinfeld says we root for the laundry. We don't really root for the people. I, I remember, I, I'm, a, I'm a big Tiger Woods guy, right? Yeah. And I remember when Tiger Woods ran into the issues that he did in his marriage. I remember saying, like, look, this is not a big deal to me because I've long reconciled myself with the fact that the people that I root for might not be good people. Right. And I don't care. I don't. It's great if they are. I certainly don't want them to get in trouble. I certainly don't want them to be disrespectful to law enforcement. I, I, I found what Adam Jones did to that officer to be abhorrent. Same I hated it. I hated it for a lot of different reasons. Perhaps most significantly the fact that this is a city still reeling from an officer being killed in the line of duty yes. 18 months ago, and it showed such a lack of sensitivity. But as fans, all we care about is that the guys wearing the uniforms of the team that we root for uh, win. And if 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 they if a bad guy plays for our team, we'll rationalize it. And if a bad guy plays for the other team, we'll come down on him. That's how it works. I just I'm like you. I just wish people would admit it. Right? Yeah, like, exactly. That Adam was Jones, my thing. Admit it. It, it, it. Put your money where your mouth is. If you're finally done with this team, then don't go to the games. And I want to look in the stadium and see a, a third of it empty. And then I'll say, okay, you really mean what you say. But people say this all the time, and they come out, and it's, it's the same thing. And nothing ever really happens. So, you know, be quiet and, and cheer for the team. That's all. Just admit that all you care about is winning. And I, I say that all the time. Just admit that all you care about is that my team wins. Don't rationalize the bad behavior. Don't try to explain it. Just say, just admit that all you care about is does my team win, and I don't care how they achieve that victory, and uh, I'm good with that. Absolutely. Mo Egger, join us here on a Friday night. Um, I want to just talk a little bit about free agency. You know, I, I know Jeff Hobson came out the other day and said the reports of bangers are going to spend maybe just around 15 million of the 43 million in cap space. I, I think they'll probably go a, a little bit more from that. But if you had a guess right now, Mo, let, let's just talk about the big three, Zeitler, Whitworth, and Drake or Patrick. How do you think that goes out? I mean, there's no way they can sign all three. How do you think that plays out? What's the what's the smartest avenue the Bengals should take with that situation? Well, I, I think what they're going to do is sign Andrew Whitworth and let Kevin Zeitler walk. That seems to be where yes. those who are really close to it, it feels like that's where they're going to go. They value left tackle. They don't value guard nearly as much. The Drake Patrick thing I think is going to be interesting because Dre's a good player. He's not a great player. Um He's probably never going to be as good as the Bengals thought he was going to be, but that defense had a lot of holes open up on it last year. In the secondary, they drafted William Jackson last season. He has yet to play it down in the NFL. They drafted Dark Lesnard a couple of years ago. There were times last year where he barely played, and Adam Jones, forget the off-field issues, he's 34 years old. He's not coming off his best season. Mm -hmm. So in Dre, you at least have a guy who's in his prime who might have a little bit of upside. The question becomes, do you want to overpay for him? And I think that's going to be really interesting to see because you and I both know 
You can never underestimate the stupidity of a general manager in the NFL or an owner <laughs> who wants to get his guy. So I, I tend to believe that Dre is going to be back, but that to me is, is ultimately what's going to change, what's going to change the trajectory of the offseason. They're going to keep a lineman. If they keep, if they lose Dre, chances are Adam Jones is brought back despite the legal issue, and you throw the secondary to younger guys, and then you have to go find bargain basement free agents. So that, to me, is is the biggest factor. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The, the offensive line's interesting to me because we all love Andrew Whitworth, but, you know, we hear about how the Bengals don't value guard play. They don't, you know, it's, it's a position where you can plug and play someone. They don't want to pay Kevin Zeitler 10 to 12 million bucks. And maybe they shouldn't. But he's a guy they guard, they valued enough to use a first round draft pick on. Yeah. He's a guy that they've developed. He's a guy they picked up the fifth year option for. And if this team really wants to remake its running game and you're going to keep the same personnel in the backfield, meaning Giovanni Bernard's going to come back off an injury, meaning you're going to give Jeremy Hill another chance to show what he can do that you might keep Rex Burkhead. How do you really upgrade the run game by letting your best interior offensive lineman go? You're exactly right, especially considering it's not like we have a rock-solid stud at center. I mean, there's a lot of question marks around Bodine, so now you're taking that interior part of the line, which compared to tackles, yes, is a little bit, you know, from a value standpoint, a little bit less, but now you're you're putting another question mark in there next to a center who already has some question marks. It's, it's a very, very tough situation. And it, I, we all love Andrew Whitworth, right? Yeah. 35 years old. Who's more likely to be the same type of player as they were in 2016? The guy who just turned 35 or right. the guy who just turned 27? Yeah, 100%. And, and, yeah. And, and go back to Adam Jones. Adam Jones in 2015, what do we all say? Man, they can't live without him. He's coming off his best season. They give him a contract, and he wasn't very good last One year. One year later, <laughs> you're right. The, the age started to show right. a little bit. And in Whitworth, look, God love him. He's, he's, he hasn't missed any games, I don't think, since, what, like 2012, 2013. He plays hurt. He's all that. But, yeah, 35, man, things can, can change very, very quickly. It's, it's, it's certainly a big risk. You're right. So you, you keep the guy who's a little bit older. You let the guy go who's a little bit younger. I, I, man, I, like, I, I get it. Left tackle's important. you got to protect Andy's blind side. Andrew Whitworth played very well last year. He's, he's a total pro, all those sort of things. But we talk often in sports about like where the smart money goes. Does the smart money go to older players, or does it go to guys in their prime? And I don't think anybody's going to overpay Kevin Zeitler. I think it's simply a matter of if the Bengals are willing to pay a guy market value at a position that they historically haven't valued. I get right. not valuing the position. I don't understand not valuing the player. Right, absolutely. And it's just that it does that value – uh, of you know market value right now for guards is you know whatever eight nine probably ten million dollars a year which is certainly stiff. Uh, Mo Egger joins us on the show here. Mar- Mo, last question before I let you go. One of the themes of our show tonight is um, defining moments in your life. 
Okay, so if you can, I know I'm coming at you off the top of the cuff here, but if you can, just share with us maybe a, a defining moment you remember in your life. Maybe it was something that happened in your career, something in your life where you, you know, there were two paths and there was two roads there, and you took this one and it wound up working out for you. Wow, this is deep. No, Fridays get deep, man. Last week, we, two weeks ago, we did regrets. Last last Friday, we did most spontaneous thing you ever did. And tonight, the theme is, again, is, uh, you know, defining moments in your life. So if you can, Mo, share one of those with the audience. All right. Uh, when, I was, when I was 16 years old, my mom and I were in a pretty rough situation with her husband who was not my dad. Mm -hmm. And it got to a point where I decided I wasn't going to live with him anymore. And so mom could either go with me or mom could either stay with him. And I was basically going to go be on my own. I've never talked about this publicly. And uh, so I went to my mom and I I had had enough of this guy kind of being just not a good guy and somebody that I knew as an adult I didn't want in my life. Mm-hmm. I was about to be a senior in high school, and I went to her and I said, I'm not going to live at home anymore, and so we can either decide to leave and have a good life or we can stay. But if we stay, it ain't going to be we. It's going to be you. Mm-hmm. And uh, fortunately for me and us, uh, we left, and uh, life got so much better and ended up uh, – prospering ever since so, so your mom decided to to leave him and go with you and you got you know kind of after she left that situation uh and you probably i guess probably i would say feel you know partly responsible for maybe helping remove her from that situation but things got better in both your lives is that what you're saying it, it was an awful situation as a high school kid and uh my mom and i got away from it and we're both better for it. Well, what's and that so like? I, what, yeah. Well, what's I've that? always, I, I've always wondered what the trajectory of our life would have been had we stayed in that situation. Where would we be? Uh, what would our status be? What, what, what would you know the, the rest of my teenage years? How would they have played out? Mm-hmm. What would her life have been like? And so, I, I, I won't get into certain specifics, but uh, <laughs> that to me, that 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 decision that we made together was uh, remains the most crucial. Of my life. Wow. Mo, how about that? And again, here you are a, a high schooler making that. That's a pretty big time adult decision, a pretty adult um, line in the sand to draw, right? At, at that age. And, and, and for you to do that, man, I think that says a lot. That's really, really cool, man. It just goes to show my level of maturity. <laughs> well, listen, Mo, that was a fantastic story. I, I really, really appreciate you sharing that with us here tonight. Uh, have fun the rest of the night, man, and, and we'll talk soon, okay? All right, buddy. I'll see you. Thanks, Mo. Uh, Mo Egger joining us on the show. How about that? Great. I'm, I'm loving the topic tonight. Keep them firing away. 513-749-7000, pound 700, 1-800, the big one. If you have anything you'd like to share with the show tonight, we will take a break and come back with more. 700 WLW. It's 1023 here on the big one. 700 WLW, Rock and Roll Friday rolls on. All the videos for the songs you hear tonight that I selected. Or on the blog, 700WLW.com, search for Rocky Boyman. Everyone knows this song, right? Seven Nation Army. The White Stripes released 2003. Now, somehow, I remember when this song came out, my buddy, I mean, I was a big White Stripes fan. I remember my buddy called me and said, run, don't walk, and go pick up this album. The album was called uh, Elephant. 
and I went went down. To, I was living in Nashville at the time. Went down to I think it was like a Walmart there. Picked up the album and just played it all the way through the whole night. Great album, man. And now this one's funny. Is like this song is now played all the time at arenas and football games with just that bass line, right? All the time you hear this song, which I never would have guessed back in 2003. But it's cool. Jack White, the lead singer. In, in the, the main guy in the band. White Stripes were a two-person band. It was a drummer. Her name was Meg White. He was Jack's former wife. And then Jack White. He played guitar. He played piano. He played bass. He played everything. Essentially, it was a one-man band, but he couldn't play all the guitars and drums. So he had someone play the drums, and then it was basically him. So he just kind of laid out a little simple backbeat, and he went with it. And on this song with the, the, the bass line, right? That's actually Jack playing a regular guitar with the with an effects pedal and distortion all turned up, which made it sound like like a like a bass he was playing. I remember him telling. I remember him saying once too that you know the song called Seven Nation Army, and it's like, where did you come up with that lyric? What was the inspiration behind that? And he said, when I was young, that's what I called the Salvation Army, the Seven Nation Army. I don't know if that was funny. So this is uh, 1025 here on the big one, 700 WLW. One of the themes we're discussing in and out of the show is defining moments in your life. I told the story earlier about um, when I got released from the Cowboys in my fifth year in the NFL. Um, lowest point in my life, thought about hanging it up, thought about, hey, you know what, I can kind of move on with the rest of my life and still had a nice career, and no one will say anything. Well, of course, I would have missed out on a lot. would have missed out on the four best years. Of my career would have missed out on a Super Bowl, would have missed out on on a lot of lot of wonderful things that happened. And I, you know, through the love of my family and through talking to some people, um, was able to come to that decision. So that was a defining moment. I mean, I, I probably would, I don't even know if I'd be sitting here talking to you had I just called it up and said, you know what, I'm going home and I'm done with this whole NFL thing. Uh, there's certain moments in that that shaped me and to bring me to this point. So defining moments of our lives is what we're discussing here tonight. I want to get my, my producer, Brad Steen, on. Uh, we were discussing a little bit of this off off air here. Brad, what was a you know, you're what, 27. What, 27. So what's a defining moment in your life, in your young life? Um, well, this happened back in college. So my, basically most of my life I've dealt with ADD. Uh-huh. Like pretty Like just not like self-diagnosed. Like this is medically diagnosed. Yeah. And uh, I wasn't necessarily, like, the smartest kid in school. Like, school was always a problem for me. Well, back in college, I didn't necessarily have the grades to get an internship, right? And so I looked into an in-house internship with um, the college that I went to. And there were certain things that I had to take that I didn't – that I haven't taken yet. And I was like, man, I'm at the end of my rope. Like, I don't want to do this. Like, I I just don't want to take – these classes, I just want to get out of college and I want to be done. So, uh, I went to, I kind of took like, this is more of like a leap of faith type deal. Like Mm -hmm. I I went to, uh, the Dean of the college that I went to the, the electronic media broadcasting Dean interim Dean. And he, and I had a conversation with him and I'm like, Hey man, like, listen, like I'm a semester away from graduating. I need an internship can you just give me, just give me a pass? And he says, yeah, yeah. So I reached out to iHeartMedia mm-hmm. here in Cincinnati and, uh, they got me on with an internship and I ended up being 
you know, part of the Kid Chris show down down the hall yep. here at EBN. And uh, ever since then, like, I, I always realized, like, this is my one shot. Don't screw it up. Right. So, like, right. every day that I come in here, I'm like, all right, this could be your last day. Just, you know, just go in and just, like, have fun. Try to be funny. Try to, you know, just have a good time because you just don't know how much longer, like, you have. And since that day, like, every day, I'm just kind of like, all right, this is, like, this is your day. Like, this is your moment. Mm-hmm. You are here to prove that you belong. Even though you're not necessarily the smartest, like you're not necessarily, you know, the the like the creme de la creme. Like I'm not I'm not necessarily like the best guy for radio, I uh, guess. Well. But but it was just like that opportunity that was given to me. I've always been thankful because you don't necessarily have to be like and like I've I've always said like I'm not you know, obviously I'm not the smartest kid, but I work hard and I try to be, as, all about, I try to yeah. be as creative. I have to outsmart the smart kids. Well, you have to outwork so, them. I'm the yeah. same way, man. And, you know, in football, you know, for instance, I was cutting your bus with a lot of ability, but you know, there, yeah, I would have to outwork the next guy. Yeah. The same thing. And for you too, to like think about, Hey man, maybe I'm just kind of done with this. Want to get out of school, get out of college and yeah. start working and start making money. A lot of people do that, but you know, you, Stuck it in there a little bit longer to yeah. get an internship yeah. and look at you now. Yeah, here yeah. I am today at uh, you know <laughs> at, mid- to, uh, about, at midnight a with life, uh, a life with story me. at ten thirty at night. <laughs> this is the Rocky Boyman show. There you go, man. There you go. Well, that's right. cool stuff, man. Thanks, very man. good. Very yeah. Thanks Appreciate for sharing that story. That's good stuff, man. That's what it's all about. Is you know you, you got to follow the signs in life, right? You got to follow the signs and and and, and have confidence that. Uh, you know, I would say even a higher power is leading you in the right direction. All right, we're going to take a break. My man Charles Van Zant has the news, and we'll come back with more 700 WLW. Ten thirty-five here on the big one, boy. That's a good one, right, Brad? Oh yeah, back song loser. I'm talking about first of all this song 1993. I believe it was even released as a single. It wasn't even on like an album. I mean, this is. Very, very popular 90s song. And since we're talking about defining moments in life on the show here, this song is a, essentially a defining moment for Beck. I remember reading, you know, he was, like most musicians, dirt poor, homeless, wanted to be a musician, was from the West Coast, moved to New York City, living on the streets, trying to make this music dream become a reality, right? Well, it wasn't working. It was it, homeless had nothing, couldn't eat, wanted to move him back home to L.A., and he would, like, do these kind of acts, and he basically moved away from music, but he was starting to get real jobs, but still dabbled in the music because he just he loved it so much. In one night, apparently from what I remember reading, again, in about a six-hour span, he wrote this song called Loser, and bam, just absolutely caught fire the rest is history. Now, he's not had a ton of other great songs, but he's certainly had a fantastic movie, or a music, movie, music career. Defining moment, could have said, I'm, I'm totally done with this thing called music. Gave it one last, one last gasp, if you will. And it was all the difference. There you go. 513-749-7000, pound 700, AT&T, 1-800, a big one. If you'd like to share your story of a defining moment in your life, let's go to the phones. Let's go all the way to Ross and talk to Tara. Now, I may know this, Tara. Tara, how are you? I'm fine. How are you, Rocky? Good. Is this my mother-in-law, Tara? It sure is. <laughs> how about that? 
Good deal, man. Good deal. What's going on? I wanted to call earlier when Willie was on because this is kind of a simple, silly, defined moment that I really, it, it has to do with Willie, who I might never met. Oh, boy. I'm driving in my car. Willie, I hit turn on 700. Never, ever listened to 700 in my life. Turned it on. Willie's on. And he's telling this terrible story. Him and his wife, Penny, and I remember this. So clearly are on like a private island. They go on vacation. I believe another couple was with them. I don't know if Willie ate something he shouldn't have or a bug bit him, but he got so sick, deathly ill. And he was describing how sick he was. I mean, vomiting, he just kept on. He knew he was going to die, and they could not get a plane in there to get him to get him medical attention. Really? And, yeah, and I really wish you could call Willie up because I'd love to ask him to tell this story again because you know how you're reading a really good book and the author just pulls you into it? Well, that's what Willie did to me that day. And yeah. I remember getting home. Kelly, your wife, was probably with me in a car seat, and I pull in, and I couldn't get out of my car. I had to hear the end of the story. Oh, my gosh. And, you know, as the story goes, he lived, and he's still on the radio. Yeah, he's still on the radio. He's doing, he's doing fairly good. Is, I've been listening to 700 ever since, so thank you, Willie. There you go. So so it was just that story alone kind of sucked you in and brought you it, the big one. How about that? Absolutely, and, and I'll never forget it. It was that that kind of a story that you never forget it. It was just incredible, and I wish he would tell that story again because, Hey, you might get a few more uh, listeners. I'll have to ask him to tell that story because it, it, it sounds fascinating, and, and that's what that's all it takes, man. That's you know, kind of what radio is is, is is storytelling, right? It's theater of the mind. It's you know, it's not visual, right? It's all audio. So you know, it's how can you paint that picture for the listener to, to take you there, to take you that moment, and take you in his case to a. Uh, some island somewhere, and yeah, right. you're, you're thinking about you know uh, we've all been laying in a in a bed, deathly ill, stomach hurting, and what's going to happen, and how do you get out of the place, and ten things, fifty things going wrong, but yeah, uh, or like that's pretty you, cool. Standing out on your deck and uh, in Texas, thinking your uh, career's over. I never heard that story before either, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah, seven hundred's just full of information. Yeah, man, we 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 try our best around here. We try our yeah. best. Yeah, yeah, and you're exactly right. It's great <laughs> storytelling, and I hope uh, more people call in with their defining moments because just like uh, what's your what's his name who was just on? Yeah, with you? Mo. How about that story? No. Can you believe yeah. that? That's right. wild. And he has never. I can't believe. I mean, I was sitting there during the break, like I texted him, and he had never told that story before. He's been on these airwaves for what fifteen years or so. Never yeah, told he was that. How about that? Fifteen years old. Fifteen years old, and he had the courage to stand up to his mother like that. That's pretty that's cool. The, I mean, that think was, about that. that. Like you know, like in high school, I mean, who stands up to their parents and does something adult like in, in benefit of their parents at age whatever, seventeen, yeah. eighteen years old? You know, right? That's exactly. Cool. Exactly. Cool. Yeah. So I just wanted to share that, but I sure wish. I would have been able to call you at nine o'clock when Willie was on, but I wasn't able to get to the phone. Well, I will. I will get. Well, we work together, so I will. Uh, I'll, I'll try to get him at one point and trying to get him to tell that story. Maybe next time I have him on my show for sure, I'll get him to tell that one. That's good. Okay, Tara. Thank you very much for the call. Thank you. All right. Have a good night. You too. You too. Ten forty-one here on the big one. Seven hundred WLW. We're talking about defining moments in our life. I, I mean, a couple other ones I think of that aren't as near as good as the one that I gave about uh, 
you know, about being, you know, getting released from the, you know, the, uh, the, the Cowboys and, and this and that. But um, I would say, I would say the decision, this was probably more my parents than, than mine, but it certainly was a big decision. The, the decision to send me to St. X. I, I always thought that that school really, really prepared me for life, man. It was a first, I mean, it was no BS. It was you better figure out a way to, to make it happen. And a lot of smart kids and demands are very, very high around there. And, you know, I remember being, you know, wow, this is, they, they're, they ain't messing around here, here at St. X high school. And just to, to have that and what that did to prepare me, you know, I went to college, you know, and went to Notre Dame, which is same sort of situation and, you know, playing football and you, know, you had to go to class and you had to do you know, this. And I was studying pre-med and I, I don't know if I would have been able to, you know, I learned the time management in, in high school at an early age. I, I think that's a, a lot of kids don't learn that these days. They don't experience that of how to, how to budget your time. That's, that's what high school, you know, one of the biggest things it taught me is how to, how to handle a lot on your plate. Is that not one of the best attributes to have? The ability to have a bunch, a bunch weighing on your shoulders and a bunch of big time things and a bunch of deadlines and oh my God, how in a million years am I going to figure out how to do this? And finding a way to do it. No matter what, you got to find a way to get these things done. Not just get them done, but do them at a high level and do it in a successful way. So I would say that was a defining moment of that decision, you know, right, to go to go to X and you know, all the lessons that taught me. Another one was just you know, not to make it all about football, but <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> I remember being, <clears throat> what, seven years old. And um, my dad, you know, I'd, you know, was you know, wanted to play football. My dad played football in high school, and you know, I was I was a Raider, you know, watching Notre Dame and all this. And I remember my dad took me to a, a practice. I, I remember seeing these flyers for Bridgetown Little Highlanders football. Wow, what is this? Dad, take me up to the thing. So oh, I don't know if I want you playing. You're young and seven years old. So anyway, took me up to um, Dulles uh, Grade School right there on on Bridgetown Road, and that's where the the Little Highlanders then were were practicing. And I remember I got there, and you know the the red helmets and the black jerseys, and watching this go on. And I've never it's like I'm it's like I'm standing there right now next to my dad, seven years old, watching this thing called football and football practice. And like, man, this is cool. I am hooked. I love it. I want to play right now. So of course, tell my dad, please let me play. Please let me play. We go home. And yeah, I never even walk in the door. And my mom's standing in the kitchen. He's like, Lynn, uh, you know, got got something to tell you. So, uh, you know, we just happened to go up to uh, Dulles there, and they were practicing football. And 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 I'm, I want to play, mom. I want to play. I want to play. I just blurted it out. Wouldn't even let him finish. And from right then, I was hooked. And she, uh, I, I think, like any mother, was kind of worried. And you know, oh my God, I don't want to get hurt. This and that. But she, uh, she, she succumbed to my desires to play the game, the great game of football. And uh, yeah, started playing seven years old. Played what twenty. 22 years of my life, including college and pros. Well, not bad. Not a bad decision. All right, we'll do this. We'll take a break. We'll continue to take your calls. i got a couple other things I'd like to talk tonight. And then at Paul, uh, yeah, at 11 o'clock, Paul Daner Jr. from the Enquirer is going to join us. He is live at the NFL Combine in Indianapolis, which is always a, a very cool event. Lots of the players and who are the Bengals going to take. What are the coaches talking about? What's going to happen in free agency? We'll ask uh, Paul about that at getting 11. But right now, we'll take a break and come back with more 700 WLW. Early in the morning, rising to the street. 
Light me up that cigarette and I strap shoes on my feet. Ten forty nine here on the big one, seven hundred WLW. It's Rock and Roll Friday. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick, so I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I want to go a little sublime. I was feeling a sublime kind of mood. A little ska music. Ska, of course, is kind of Jamaican-inspired punk kind of stuff. What a great band. This is off their third album, self-titled Sublime, released 1997. And um, was the title track, I believe. I know they had Garden Groove. The second, the second one I think was, was uh, what I got. And it was released after the singer, Bradley Noel's death in 1996. He died in 96 uh, from a heroin overdose. And uh, this album was released in 1997. What a great band. And another, Just another story. How many times have we talked about it? Sad. Caught up in heroin. Couldn't let it go. Unbelievably talented person. Boom. That's it. Done. Over. Oh man, you see it a thousand. I mean, that drug's got to be so damn powerful. I mean, to see it over and over. It's not like it's you know we just learned like two years ago that heroin's bad for you. We've known for a long, long, long time that this drug is killing people, and well, it's, it's doing even in higher numbers now. Unbelievable, unbelievable the power that stuff has. So it's ten fifty here on the big one. I, uh, I had to bring this one up. I don't want to get into a political show tonight because I do that all during the week and it's Friday and who cares. But I, I had to bring this up because if you recall last night on the show, if you happen to listen, uh, uh, I was talking to a, an author by the name of uh, Daniel Greenfield. And, you know, he was a Jewish guy and he writes for this magazine called uh, Front Peg, uh, FrontMag.com. And I was asking him about the you've heard in the news about the, the rise and the uptick in these, you know, you know, attacks on, on Jewish people and all the, you know, the Jewish cemeteries that have been vandalized and the, you know, the bomb threats that are getting called into Jew, you know, Jewish synagogues and Jewish schools and Jewish, you know, community centers and this and that. And I asked him, like, who do you think is behind this? And, and I remember I made the comment. I said, it would not surprise me. I don't know this. I'm not saying it's the case, but it wouldn't surprise me if one or some of the people behind this were actually you know, liberals in disguise or actually, you know, people that were trying to make it look like it was some sort of anti-Semitic thing, but was actually, you know, way left liberal extremists trying to paint the picture that, oh, it's these Trump supporting morons that are out there and all Donald Trump is so the rise and, you know, in him and the belief in him that's causing all this stuff. And I said, I wouldn't shock me if it turned out to be one of these, uh, you know, fake jobs like we've seen where, you know, there's somebody paints a, a swastika, and they say it's a Trump supporter when actually it turns out it's a far-left liberal doing it. Well, anyway, I was turned out to uh, to be correct in that. A disgraced former reporter was arrested by the FBI Friday for several bomb threats to a Jewish community center, uh, Jewish schools, and other Jewish organizations around the country. Juan Thompson, 31, was arrested in St. Louis by the FBI for making at least eight bomb threats and the cyber-stalking of an ex-girlfriend, Former support uh, reporter for The Intercept was fired after it was discovered that he made up sources and stories 
including one about uh, Dylan Roof. Goes on to talk about his communist uh, ties, communist ways of thinking. He's also a very vocal member of the anti-Trumper movement. So there you go. I was right. Here's another story here quickly because we got we're gonna have the top of the hour news here, and then Paul Dinger Jr. is gonna join me. You know, you you see stuff in life and you shake your head, right? I mean, just the the internet has is brought the sensational and the surreal right at the forefront, right in front of us. And so, in the Daily Mail, man spends fifty thousand dollars on over one hundred procedures to transform himself into a quote genderless alien unquote. He plans. Uh, in the future here, to have his genitals, nipples, and belly button removed. Vinny O, is his name, O-H-H, 22 years old from Los Angeles, California, has had over 110 procedures. I mean, 100, where do people get the money for this? Where, where do you get the money for, where do you get $50,000 or more to spend on 110 procedures at that age? Um, blah, blah, blah. Um, claims um, he wants to turn himself to a genderless extraterrestrial. The makeup artist believes he's neither male nor female. And as I said uh, at the top there, the pictures are there. I should have put this on my blog. It's just, it's got to be some sort, you know, the body, body dysmorphia. Isn't, it? That's, that's, isn't that what that condition's called? Where, you know, you're looking like, like a someone with bulimia or someone with anorexia who may be, you know, 97 pounds, and and just totally looks in the mirror and she sees like a great big giant you know humongous obese person right i mean and and here's this this guy who sees himself he's you know born a guy is is he's, he's he's not not gay not trans transgender no what no nothing he claims he is genderless he's a genderless alien and he plans on spending another $160,000 on surgery to get general removal, nipple removal, belly button removal, forehead realignment, ear pinning, nose job, eyelid revision, jaw implants, and cheek implants. You just got to wonder, man. Like, I mean, at some point, is this guy going to wake up at 42 years old after he's cut his, you know what, off and his nipples and everything else and done, put all this money into this. Now he's not young and now, you know, you kind of move on with that kind of crazy outlandish stage in your life. But it's too late, man. You just want, I mean, is there, is there anything out there that should be done to protect people from themselves in this sort of situation? I mean, look, it's a you know free world, and you can do whatever you want, and you're free to do whatever you want. But, man, what a tremendous price. You think that getting an exorbitant amount of tattoos is a big-time leap, and you'll regret that. This guy's going to cut his junk off and uh, and everything else to become an alien. I don't know, man. I don't. I don't make up the stories. I just read them. Can't understand it. You have a psychologist on to explain that sort of deal. What? What? The mentality. What goes behind that? Because it's got to be. It's got to be something that happened early in life, right? Like some sort of, you know, deal with the parents or the, you know, an assault. Right? You know, so usually that's kind of behind, right? Something happened at youth to, just set this in, into a total free fall. I have no idea. All right, so we are going to have. Uh, the top of the hour news, Charles Van Zant is in. And then when we come back, Paul Danner Jr. from Cincinnati.com is going to join us live from the Combine. Stay right here. It's Rock and Roll Friday on 700 WLW. The Rocky Boyman Show rolls on here on 700 WLW. It is Rock and Roll Friday, but it is also one week before... 
Free agency starts happening with the Bengals, and also right now as we speak is the NFL Combine going on in Indianapolis. Lots of big men running in their underwear and lots of other great things. So in order to discuss those, I want to bring on Paul Daner Jr. of the Cincinnati Enquirer. Paul, how are you, buddy? Doing good. How are you, Rock? Very good. So, Paul, you're down uh, at the Combine. Uh, I, I guess first just describe to the listeners some of the sights and the sounds of what goes on on a typical day at the NFL Combine. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's uh, there's um, you know you get a lot of guys that for for us from the media perspective, you know, they, they bring in different position groups, and everybody that is here at the combine is is available to interview. So you'll have seven guys, seven of the top wide receivers in the draft will all be standing at podiums at the same time, fielding a bunch of questions, and you know you have lots of chances to talk to them there, and then you know they're going through. There's weigh-ins one day, and then they, they, they go out and they're actually doing, uh, you know, they're, they're running through the drills another day. It's, it's a, it's a multiple-day process mm-hmm. for these guys, and, and, and that's not even getting into all of the informal and formal interviews these guys have to do. I mean, it's, um, it, it's, it's a, a lot of stress on these guys uh, over the course of few days, but they're, you know, they're put to the, the test of it because these, these teams need to find out what they're made of. No, no question about it. Now, Paul, how many years have you been covering the Combine here for the Enquirer? Uh, this were, I think this is my... I think this is my fourth. I think fourth. this is my fourth combine okay. for the Enquirer. All right, yeah. so all right, you haven't been doing it like twenty years or something. But anything different no. from maybe the first year you started to now, in ter- just in terms of how it's run, or maybe some of the, the just the things that go on at it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's even over that small time span, it has become so much bigger uh, from and turned more into an NFL event. It, it, before it was a scouting event. Now it is an NFL event. It's set up and operated in every way, just like the Super Bowl or the International Series or any of these uh, things that the, the league puts on. And now you have fans in here That's cheering wild. for the bench press, uh, <laughs> which I don't think has sat too well with a lot of the scouts. So I mean, it, so it becomes even rowdier. You know, they're selling everything. It's it it has a hundred percent become a thing that the leagues taken over under their wing and said, this is going to be one of our things. Where back in the day, it was just, you know, it, it was just put on as a way to get everybody in one place at one time to get all the medicals done and, and take the stress off everyone having to travel all over the country to do that stuff. Now it's a moneymaker. Yeah, you're right. It's, 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 a, it's a television show it is what it is. It's all about, yeah. you know, fans and, and, and dollars and, and entry fees and things like that. It's certainly changed. Mm-hmm. And it's funny. I mean, obviously I was at the Combine in 2000. Uh, what 2002, and you're saying even within four years it's changed a lot, and that, that's really saying something. Um, well, we wanted to just, I guess, before we go, I want to talk about free agency, but just in general, have you had a chance to talk to some of the the Bengals coaches? Have you ever, have you ever, I mean, have you done any like you know cloak and dagger spy missions to see like who they may be paying more attention to than, than others, and anything like that, Paul? I mean, you know, we, we, we meet up with a lot of the coaches and stuff around here. It's a pretty laid-back, relaxed week for them. So, uh, you know, there's, the, there's a lot of time to sit and catch up. And, you know, I think, I think we had a pretty good feel coming into this, what positions and type of guys uh, that they would be interested in. This ends up just being a lot of confirmation uh, of that. I mean, we know what the positions are. We know that, that they're going to be looking hard at all the top pass rushers and they're going to be keeping a close eye on a couple of these top receivers and 
they're certainly going to love when they see a guy who's 240 pounds running a 45140 like Leonard Fournette did yeah, today. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's no secret. Um, it, it, there's. It, it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. There's a lot of options out there, and I, you know, the defense at the top of this draft, I think. The consensus has been that, you know, is, is, is really good. So the more people that want to trade up and try to take either a running back or a quarterback or something like that, the more of those types of guys that come off the board, the better the, those high end defensive players slide down to the Bengals at nine, the better. I think that's, um, that's going to be something to watch when you start getting closer in April. Yeah, no question about it. I know Paul Gunther has, has talked about at length about the this being a very heavy pass rush draft and a lot of good players, even even higher and even the middle rounds. Um, and I read your article today, great article in the Enquirer about you know the Bengals have always for the longest time at the at the defensive end position they've all been guys that are six foot six, two hundred and seventy pounds, and usually from the SEC. But uh, you, yeah. you talk to Paul Gunther, they may be willing to, I guess, deviate from that plan, huh? Yeah, I, I think the game's changing, Rock, and you know that. I mean, it, it, this game is not as much about big, powerful, strong, run stopping defensive ends that can also get to the passer. You know, Duke Tobin said it, the pass rush is king. And, and, um, they have to get more of that, you know. Yes. And if that means a guy who's 6'1 or 2 and 255 pounds, but he's going to get back there consistently, then so be it. And I think the thought is more now, we can do what we can to teach him techniques and leverages to deal with stopping the run and keep us from getting beat up stopping the run. If that means he's going to be an elite pass rusher, and then, you know the league is just more of that, it's more yeah. guys running out and spreading out and covering, and you you have to be able to get back to the passer, or you're going to get whipped. I mean that's apparent. That's clear when you look at uh, the four teams that were there uh, championship weekend and, and the teams that were in the Super Bowl. So that's what the Bengals need more of, um, and there's a lot of them in this draft, and so they're not going to sit here and say okay, well, we can only take two of these guys because we really want our guys to be tall and long and powerful so they can do both. Yeah, you'd like that, but those guys aren't necessarily available. You need to focus, number one, even if he's not the right prototype, of a guy who can get to the quarterback, period. Yeah, I mean, period, end of story, you're absolutely right. And I've always thought, and it's been my experience, especially when I was with the Colts, that you know, we had Dwight Freeney and Robert Mathis, and those guys were six one, six two. And you know, I, I always thought those smaller guys had could had, could do a better job of, of leverage and getting underneath those those offensive tackles that anymore are six foot five and six foot six. So yeah, I think it makes sense to you know yeah to not pigeonhole yourself. You have the guys defense. He's got to be six foot six. He's got to be two seventy five. 280, you're right. He's got to, the, the number one priority, in my opinion, Paul, is this defense has got to get better from an athletic standpoint. Get speed on the field. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a, a, a powerful guy. You want him to be powerful. But they, first and foremost, you're right. They got to have that, that speed off the edge. They got to be able to run around. I mean, the game is, is basketball on grass anymore. It really is. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And that's why, you know, you see more of 
you know, I mean, the, the Bengals are in are in nickel seventy percent of the time. Uh, you can you can say the four three is their base defense if you want to, but you know, vast majority of the time, there's only two linebackers yes. out there. If that, or you're running some, you know, this new, you know, you have the position of, you know, when you're playing a, a big nickel with a third safety, that's a safety linebacker hybrid. You know, we've seen the Bengals use that in the past. Emmanuel Lemure did that for a while, and you know, even Sean Williams did that. I mean, that's when you look at a guy, you know, a, a guy like at Michigan, or like what, trying to replicate what they've done with Deion Buchanan right. uh, out in Arizona. I mean, there, there's a lot of different positions that you can see create and matchups that you need to be able to create that ask for a different type of athlete than the NFL has usually had, and so. Um, everybody's sort of looking for that speed and that different type of player. And, you know, the, the Bengals are certainly uh, no different. Paul Dinner Jr. Uh, joining us from uh, live from the combine here. Make sure you check his stuff out on Cincinnati.com uh, there. Uh, Paul, just want to ask you quickly about free agency. I, I know, you know, you reported it and, you know, we've all talked about it. the Bengals roughly $43 million in cap space. I think we all kind of figured that they'd spend twenty twenty five of that, but then Jeff Hobson came out with a report that the Bengals reportedly may only spend fifteen of that. I mean, was that shocking to you that they may not spend more, even on just not not so much on sign and outside guys, but you know, you got the big three: you got Zeitler, you got Whitworth, and you got Drake or Patrick. Is fifteen million going to be enough to sign even two of those three guys? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's really the number. Uh, I think it's probably uh, a little more than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's probably an incredibly conservative estimate of what it will actually end up being. Good. We'll, listen, <laughs> we can we we can say. I mean, we can say whatever number we want to say. We'll eventually know, right? Uh, how much it ends up being. I mean, so we can sit here and say this or that. It's a matter of what it ends up being. Um, you know, I, I, I we the teams handle their cap in different ways. And I will say this, I just, I don't think that you can accuse the Bengals of, in the, in recent years, of being cheap. They, no, no, they've no. been amongst the top ten spenders in the league and things like that. And if anybody that wants to say, well, they're not spending going after their guys, I, I don't, I don't know that that's necessarily the case. I, they, they eventually will still end up, um, probably spending as much as anybody else. They choose a different way to get there. That's their philosophy. And that really hasn't been different. People, you know, we'll see what it ends up being. Um, I think that they have, they clearly have their targets um, that they that they want to re-sign on their team. I mean, they want to re-sign Andrew Whitworth. They want to re-sign Drake or Patrick. I think they're pretty comfortable letting Kevin Zeitler go off because they don't want to have a guard be taking up that much cap space. And you only yeah. have so many premium contracts that you can give out. Do you want one of them to be a guard? Um, is, is kind of, I think, a question that they've had to answer, and it does, who does that come at the expense of? So I think that they will spend, I think they'll be aggressive, much like they have been in recent years, in trying to keep their own guys. I, I wouldn't get too caught up in any numbers that have been put out there. I'd mm-hmm. say let it play out and then judge. Yeah, hopefully sign some of those guys back here, and if there's any left over, uh, make a little bit of a, a dabble into free agency there. Uh, Paul, we uh, we got to run, but last question before I let you go here uh, on, on, a, on a completely other note. You're one of the themes of the show tonight is you know defining moments of people's lives. So I ask you, and I know I'm putting you on the spot, if you can think off the top of your head here a 
a defining moment in your life or your career, somewhere where you know the, there was the fork in the road and you chose this path and it was hmm. beneficial to you in your life and your career? Do you have anything? I like that, Rock. That's a good question. Uh, I do have one, actually. I have a pretty good one. Uh, so I was working in Georgia covering UGA Bulldogs and uh, living down in South Georgia and experienced it. This was in about 2009, mm-hmm. and I was experiencing what everybody knows was the death of the newspaper industry, which is killing people. And everyone was getting laid off, and nobody's figured out how to, how to make money. I mean, it's still a problem that's happening now. But long story short, it was a thought. The old process used to be you went from a small paper to a mid-sized paper and then to a bigger paper, and then you stayed there, and that was how you did well. Everybody at the next level paper that I wanted to go to, not only were they not hiring, they were laying off the people <laughs> who I thought were the best at their job right, because they right. were trying to save money. So it came to a point, do I want to, I always wanted to move back to Cincinnati. My family's from here, yes. and I, I didn't know what to do because the, there was no real way to make that happen. And so I said, I came across an opportunity with our, you know, you know, C. Trent Rosecrans mm-hmm. at the time had been uh, let go and he would started his own website, cnatty.com. And he literally, well, I, I just contacted him out of the blue. I didn't know who he was. So I'd like to come back and cover UC and Xavier. You look like you need somebody to help out. And this is something he was just doing to keep himself, in, you know, in the business and maybe mm-hmm. try to make a little money. And he's like, he literally told me, we joke about it now. He said, don't do this because he wasn't going to be able to pay me. He, he's like, he's like I'm, you're working for free. And I said, I know, but this is really my last wow. shot. I just, I, I feel like I'm good enough to do it. I just need to be in the right place to start doing it where I want to eventually be. And so I said, screw it. So I quit my job and I moved to Cincinnati and I worked for free for C. Trent covering UC and Xavier. And I like bartended on the side to get by. And eventually that landed me a job um, with uh, Josh Katsuis was covering UC for uh, GoBearCats.com. And he left to take a job for CBS. GoBearCats knew I was around. They offered me a job to start working for them. That turned into another job. I ended up working for CBS covering the Bengals. Then Joe Reedy left the Inquirer after I had worked for them for a year. And they hired me on full time. It ended up being the smartest thing I've ever done to quit my job and go work for free. <laughs> That's fantastic, <laughs> and, man. That's such a fantastic it, it story. It was scary. I mean, it was it was the scariest thing ever as I'm driving back from Georgia with all my stuff in my car thinking, what the hell am I doing? I don't have a job. Right. You know? Yeah. But, you're, you're what you're at what time? I mean, uh, later 20s, early 30s, mid 20s. What were you at the at the time, I was, uh, let's see, I was late 20s. Yeah, I was in my yeah, late okay. 20s. Yeah. It was my one last, it was like my one last shot to make this business work. And, uh, it ended, it ended up, it ended up paying off, but it was, uh, yeah, it's definitely a defining moment. That, that, that's really cool, Paul, because like you said, now, you know, to, to where you are now and doing such a great job with the Enquirer, I mean, look, man, you, you bet on yourself, right? And that's what they always tell you, bet, bet, right. you know, bet, bet on yourself. And, you know, if you're, you're a hard worker and, and, you, and you do well, good things happen, man. It sound like it worked out for you, man. I, I would definitely say that it's been it's been, uh, it's been it's been the smartest decision I made of my life. Even though uh, everyone at the time probably would say I was a complete idiot. That, Paul, that's fantastic, man. Thank you so much for sharing that story, man. Listen, uh, best of luck the rest of the way there. Enjoy the rest of the combine. I'm sure we'll talk soon. Okay. 
Absolutely. Thanks, Rob. Thanks so much. Uh, Paul Danner, Jr., uh, live from Indianapolis at the NFL Combine. Uh, the number here, if you'd like to uh, weigh in on any of the topics tonight, is 513-749-7000, pound 700 at 1-800, the big one. We will take a break and come back with more. 700 WLW. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.